Welcome to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield, and we are thrilled here at Practically Political to introduce you to our friend, Masada Siegel. She is an award-winning journalist and all-around world traveler, uh, incredible just thinker, very empathetic person, and we're thrilled to have her here. And she she really cares about people. She's a very compassionate person. Uh, she and I don't necessarily agree on some things political, which you'll get in, we'll get into, but I think we want the same outcome. We just have different pathways to get there. And I'm excited for this journey that she's going to be joining us. Welcome, Masada. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Great to have you. Well, let's get right to it. I'm going to get to our first question. I'm going to throw it to Dave first. So Dave, look, you know, you know how I feel about Joe Biden's ideas, but this one, his latest, I think really takes the cake of just like, what is this guy doing? Um, he he basically wants to tax investments up to 86%. And as far as I'm concerned, this is, you know, why, while people are already suffering from inflation, you have about $7,000 lost per capita uh, since Joe Biden took house or uh, took over the White House. So why is he doing this? Why doesn't he focus on things that have bipartisan compromise instead of something that's going to be done on a rival in Congress? Well, First of all, this is one of these things where, you know, I have a better chance of winning Bo- the Boston Marathon than this becoming a law. I think it was a, another gaffe or whatever, because he knows there's absolutely no chance that that's going to happen. And look, there are a lot of politicians. Of course, I'm not going to mention names. I can think of a certain former president who says things and people are like, oh, he doesn't really mean it. Don't worry. It'll, it'll never become law. So uh, I think what's been very interesting, the dynamic is that the Democrats actually have been very soft on tax increases. I'm not saying I'm for them, but because a lot of their constituents are now becoming higher income, more suburban, more highly educated voters, they're not so crazy about raising taxes. So remember that budget bill last year was going to have all this tax bite in the end. It didn't even get rid of the carried interest loophole. So I think this is all bark and no bite. It's just it's just media hype. Well, that's very interesting, Dave. Um, you know, I, I think that the reality is that Democrats are spending like there's no tomorrow. The way they spend, the fact that we have not only our current debt levels, but the future debt levels currently we're at well above where we were for the um, uh, you know World War II spending. And now the debt to GDP is going to balloon even well above World War II. Um, so I think we're on a, a fiscal train wreck. Um, and, and I think the fact that, you know, when it comes to the debt ceiling, like Joe Biden is not interested in coming to the table and having a good faith effort. Uh, the Republicans have put forward the proposals. They want to claw back some of the COVID funding. They, there are just lots of things. And Dave, I know you have a lot to say uh, on the debt ceiling. I mean, what's your read on that? Well, first of all, I would say one thing again. I think it's a little disingenuous because this concern about spending only happens when there's a Democrat in the White House. One quarter of our entire, more than that, of our entire debt was accumulated under Trump. He was the most profligate president ever. But having said that, the debt ceiling, I think we're spending too much. There's no question. But if you have a spending problem, you don't address it by first bouncing the payment to the credit card company. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing. So don't jeopardize the full faith and credit of the U.S. Pass the debt ceiling. Let's have some serious spending negotiations after that. That's the way it would happen would happen during Trump, Trump with the Democrats. What do you think, Masada? I think it's all about responsible leadership all around. 
Um, as you guys know, I'm very middle of the road. and I think everybody has a responsibility to play. Um, I am not an advocate, even though I'm labeled as the more liberal person. I'm not an advocate of raising taxes. The United States really needs to learn how to budget. I mean, end of situation is that we need to learn how to budget. Just like when you teach your kids how to budget, um, we, we need to not punish. I mean, basically, when you raise tax on people who are working really hard, and, and I was looking through the numbers, the numbers are raising taxes on people who make over 400000 a year. Well, that might sound like a lot, but I know that I go to the grocery store and it's $100 on fresh fruit and vegetables. I mean, prices are going up. $400,000 is not the same amount today as it was years ago. I do not believe in punishing people for working really hard. Um, so um, that's that's one side. On the other side, you know, in terms of budgeting and the debt ceiling, we really need to look at the numbers. I know in Washington, because I've spent some time there, there's a lot of political games that go on. Everybody wants to get reelected. I mean, one of my proposals is if you're a congressperson or you're a senator, maybe you should take a salary cut. Why don't we discuss that? Why don't we discuss the fact that many of these people, not all, have the ability to um, pay for their own health insurance? They have the best health insurance. A lot of us are paying for health insurance on our own. So maybe maybe the place to start is to start at home. And I think some of these Congress people, you know, a lot of them have plenty of money. They, they don't they don't need the money. Let's let's be responsible. Let's not cut funding for children who need food for school. I mean, that is the worst possible place to cut funding. So I think it's really about let's stop negotiating and stop trying to get reelected. And let's really do the hard work, the boring hard work. Those are some of some of my thoughts this morning. Well, and I would just add one final thing that really, when you think about they they've taken defense off the table and they've taken entitlements off the table. So you're talking about one sixth of the budget, which is basically up for negotiation. It's just not realistic. On, on And I agree on either side because we are definitely spending way too much. Well, I think we all agree on that. So that's good to hear. I mean, I, th I do think that some of the proposals are very reasonable. They want to take back the unspent COVID funds. They want to say people, if you want to get welfare, you have to work. That shouldn't be controversial. The vast majority of Americans agree with that statement, yet not in the Democrat Congress. Uh, and then you also have wanting to say that some of these clean energy green giveaways uh, shouldn't be uh, put forward because they aren't proven. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I, think, I think we're all in agreement. We shouldn't waste money, but we all want to prioritize what's, what's good. I think that's, that's the universal thing. But I, I know, Masada, you had a question. What's your question? What do you got? I do. So I live I live in the beautiful state of Arizona. And I'll tell you, my neighborhood is a very Republican neighborhood. And in 2022, the independents were the ones who decided the vote here. And I and I called it in 2020 and I called it in 2022. I knew that the Democrats were going to win. The Republicans have a problem here. And I would say part of it is the fact that they are not reaching out to the independent party. The independents, I believe, will decide the vote in 2024 for two reasons. First of all, in my in my worldview, the Republicans are focusing way too much on social issues such as abortion, on transgender, on, on gay issues that most Americans agree on. We want those to stay stable, right? So they're going to lose a lot of the Democratic-leaning voters on the independent side. And on the other side, the crime issue, I mean, Crime is crime. If you go into a store and steal $100 worth of, an, worth of items or 1000 you should be prosecuted. And so the issue there is, you know, a lot of, of independents lean 
more towards the Republican point of view. So the Republicans in 2024 are going to have to address a lot of issues, but how are they going to reach out to the independent voters? They didn't do a good enough job here in Arizona, and they paid the price. I agree with you, Masada. And in fact, my women's group, we're working on an event with Speaker McCarthy's office about the crime issue, because this affects women. You know, we're smaller than men. We're more likely to be domestic violence victims. And uh, so many of these crimes uh, that are being committed, like the woman who helped push through the the House Democrat, uh, I'm sorry, the House crime bill, uh, you know, stopping the D.C. City Council from doing insane things uh, and trying to give more rights to criminals than to victims. The woman who was instrumental in being the catalyst for that bill, she was a Democrat. She's a D.C. resident. And she was so upset. As I understand it, she was a sexual assault victim. And she said, this bill, what the city council wants to do is going to let rapists walk free. And I just think it's just basic common sense that conservatives should be saying that's not okay. You shouldn't allow women to be vulnerable on the streets like this. And that's just a no brainer from politically. It's it's good policy and it's also good uh, politics too. So I, I'm totally with you. And then as far as like the social issues, you know, I think that what's it, what's very interesting in this conversation about the six week ban in Florida with with Ron DeSantis. First of all, Ron DeSantis won re-election by almost 19 points. I, if that was a mandate, there ever was one. That's a mandate. And I think what's interesting to point out is that Georgia, before the election, before the election, it's key. They also passed a six week ban. And who won re-election? The Republican. He won by eight points over Stacey Abrams, a woman who tried to make abortion the big case du jour for her. And she lost in a very swing state, actually, that went Democrat for the Senate. So I think I think it, it's, it has to do with candidate quality. And I think that is a big part. And what was very interesting to see, even now, where President Trump is speaking out against Doug Mastriano from running for Senate in Pennsylvania, I think he learned his lesson and got burned by the governor race. So I think it's a combination of focusing on the right issues and making sure that you have good candidate quality. That's the winning uh, message for independence. Because yeah, I, I think there's, you know, as, as our vice president likes to say, there's a Venn diagram. Where can we find the Venn diagram of things that independents care about and things that conservatives care about? That would be my advice uh, heading into 2024. Dave, what do you think? Well, I think, first of all, Ron DeSantis was reelected because he was considered sound on COVID and he got kids back to school in August of 2020, where California, we didn't get him into school till almost a year after that, had nothing to do with social issues. A lot of this extreme stuff he's pushed through since he's been reelected. And by the way, people are comfortable with a 15 week abortion ban. They're not comfortable with a party that says, oh, don't worry, we just want to return to the states. And then once it's back to the states, instead of taking a win, being very sore winners and going for the juggler with everything. And so I think that you need to be uh, pragmatic about this. And there's a lot, you know, there was never any acknowledgement. Hey, we understand that you lost a right that you had for 50 years. We don't take away rights in this country. We usually expand them. But please understand, this is a personal issue for us. So we're going to increase money for childhood nutrition programs. We're going to truly be pro-life, be more pro-family. But you're not seeing any of that. So it's just, you know, it's the it's the cultural wars. And I think it's going to really hurt the party with independence. As far as Arizona goes, I would it would help having uh, major statewide candidates that aren't election deniers. All four of them were and all four of them went down. I don't think Mark Fincham 
or Kerry Lake have still conceded their races. I don't know. You would know better than I, Masada, but I don't think so. So if the Democrats want to win, nominate Kerry Lake for Senate. <laughs> so anyway, my question is, uh, as you know, Samuel, Samuel Alito has just extended the, uh, I wouldn't say moratorium, but a pause period on the so-called abortion pill, Mifepristone, and uh, the Supreme Court is going to rule very shortly. I think this is a case they need to decide sooner rather than later. And obviously, it's a very interesting case because uh, it's not just abortion. It's the whole procedure of how the FDA approves drugs. This is a drug that was approved literally during the Clinton administration and is safer than Tylenol. So I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, what are the ramifications? What do you think the Supreme Court's going to do? And what are the ramifications, both electorally and Otherwise, um, why don't we start with uh, Masada? Well, this is a very, very important issue for me personally, um, but I want to go through a couple of statistics. First of all, I think this, I, I think the Supreme Court, there's a reason they're letting this, this um, result be known on Friday night. They don't want the publicity. I'm thinking they're probably leaning towards, towards banning this drug. And this drug is so important. Um, first of all, it is safe. And the whole fact that it was brought up, I mean, th there was a CNN poll or a CNN, a CNN study that was done that showed out of 1 million people, there were five deaths associated with this drug. Penicillin, four times greater. Viagra, 10 times greater risk to take. But I will tell you what, what, what people are forgetting in this whole debate is that behind every pill, behind every abortion story, here's a human being. And I wrote uh, last year, I wrote for the Independent UK, I wrote my personal story where I was experiencing early pregnancy loss. And I went to a pro-life doctor who insisted that, that this baby, this whatever you want to call it that was inside of me, had a chance of survival. Every other doctor said it wasn't going to happen. He, he called me a baby killer. He said I should go to an abortion clinic. The only place, and I, in my entire life, and this is a much wanted pregnancy, one that I prayed for. And in my entire life, I never assumed I would need an abortion clinic. They were the only ones who showed me any compassion. This was one of the hardest periods of my entire life. And they're the only ones. And they said, listen, we'll help you. We'll take care of you. But Arizona has a, has a, has a law that you have to wait a day a 24 hour period to think about it. There was nothing to think about. This wasn't, this was just cells. They weren't going to, it wasn't going to turn into anything. And, and I was, I was tormented. And luckily things worked out in a way that there was no heartbeat at that time. And I was allowed to be taken care of. But this drug is one that will prevent women from having to go through situations like that. I mean, it's not just about abortion. It's about early pregnancy loss. It's about miscarriages. I mean, it, you know, if you're asking a woman to not take a drug, that she might have to miscarry for up to two months. I mean, that is cruel. That is insensitive. And you know what? I think once you, once you, like, I'll give an example. Barry Goldwater in Arizona had a, it was very much against gays and gay rights. And then he had a grandson who was gay. And suddenly it was a human face, somebody that he loved. And I think that we're losing, we're losing the war in America of togetherness because we don't see a person behind the story. We don't see how it's affecting someone's life. I mean, this stuff is important. We need to come together as a country and realize that that there are people behind every story. 
Yeah, Masada, I am so glad you shared your story. I think it's so important to have compassion and to have your voice be heard. I think that it's important to note that there are two people behind every abortion story. There is the child and there is the mother. And I think the more we can humanize both the mother and the child, then that's where we can find the common ground. And the truth of the matter is, I think this debate's focused on the wrong thing. I think what we should focus on is uh, prevention in most cases, because uh, the vast overall, the vast, vast majority of abortions are from unwanted pregnancies, not from uh, babies who are desired. Uh, when it comes to fetal abnormalities, rape and incest, rape and incest uh, cases are, you know, rape, I believe, uh, is less than one half of 1%. So I'm, I'm talking about the preponderance of abortion. If we societally, you know, 2006, Joe Biden said that an abortion is a tragedy. He doesn't believe that anymore because he's been pushed so far to the left. Bill Clinton, an era ago, said that we should have abortion be safe, legal and rare. He doesn't believe that anymore. Um, and I think we need to go back to that. That's a middle ground. Like, let's try to reduce the number where I think the, the shared middle ground here should be focused on prevention. And yes, there are some Catholics who want to impose their anti-birth control, you know, theology on people, I think that's wrong. And I think that you are going to get enough. There are actually a lot more Protestants than Catholics in this country, and actually a lot of Catholics who disagree with the church when it comes to birth control. You're going to get a lot more people on your side who are supporting things like expanding vasectomies, expanding, uh, just making sure that people are very proactive when it comes to preventing these types of pregnancies as opposed to terminating. I think we've kept our eye off the ball as it relates to that. Uh, and then as it relates to mifeprestone, uh, I want to share some other statistics here because I don't think I don't think it's apples to apples to compare Viagra and penicillin because we're talking about the alternative, which is a chemical abortion, which is pill abortion versus a surgical abortion. Uh, there have been in the Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology reported a uh, longitudinal study from Finland um, one in five women had a complication from a pill abortion. It's four times the rate versus a surgical abortion. And then when it comes to uh, another study as well, found that there was a much higher need for needing surgery following a pill abortion versus a, chem or a, a surgical abortion. So it's dangerous. And also the FDA did not follow its protocol and how it approved this drug. And that's ultimately is what this is about. It's actually not about, it's more about the FDA failed to follow its protocol. That's why it's being challenged legally. Well, first of all, I find it kind of interesting that it's challenged 23 years later after it came out, as opposed to if it were no, a, a true a true problem. No, Hold Dave, on, Dave, you know finish. the truth. But I'm going to respond to that though, because the FDA was challenged immediately, and by their own standards, they're supposed to respond within 180 days. They failed to respond, okay. and there was no legal repercussions. That's I, the, I don't. I've never so heard anything that. about that. All I know is that the track record is in, is incredibly safe. This is a drug that's statistically safer than Tylenol. And the bottom, the bottom line is, on top of that, you have a whole can of worms because if, if what the FDA does can be overturned by what is essentially a judicial fiat, then that's gonna give any judge, liberal or conservative, oh, you know what? My son had a bad experience on Prozac. Well, let's, let's outlaw that one. It's gonna make it a capricious system and it's gonna really stymie R&D and, re and a lot of the whole process that we need in this country to get new potentially life-saving drugs approved. As far as the Supreme Court goes, I think what they're gonna do is they're gonna take us back, not to 1999, but they'll take us back to 2015, 
where they'll say that it's no longer allowed to be sent by mail. And again, sadly, you know, as is so often the case with this abortion debate, women that lose are poor women. Wealthy women will always be able to get an abortion. And again, if you, if you can't send something, then you have to go get it. And that's much harder for people that uh, don't have the means to, to do so. But it's a losing debate for Republicans. And I think it's going to come back to roost again in 24, just as it has in many, many elections and in conservative states like Kansas and Kentucky. And if I can, if I can just interject, I really find it offensive that somebody other than my doctor can have this conversation with me. If, if, if a woman needs medical help, it's not a moral issue. It's, it's a moral issue between her and her faith and her God. Um, I think it really needs to be up to the person and the doctor. Um, and this is like, I would love to sit down and have an entire session discussion, the abortion issue and, and medical issues with you guys, because I think it's so important that, you know what, we don't have to agree with each other, but I think we need to come together and, and say, yeah, we can discuss this without hating each other and come to some reasonable conclusions on how everybody wins. And this is the one issue where we all agree. Everybody, everybody wants fewer abortions. I don't agree that, you know, first of all, safe, legal, and rare, as good as it sounds, that's a bumper sticker. That's not a policy. And I don't think anyone is pro-abortion. Nobody wants an abortion. It's a traumatic thing. But so I agree, we can all work together. And Congress should not be legislating medicine. It's like the, port, the so-called partial birth abortion was another example. It should be between a woman and her doctor. It is word, about, it's about protecting human rights at the end of the day. And immediately at conception, there is zero additional genetic material from the mother that is transmitted to the child. Immediately at conception, there are all of the chromosomes present for a unique, separate, individual human life. And nine, more than 90% of scientists, and I don't know what's wrong with the other 10%, say that immediately upon conception, it is a human life. There's no other species or genus. It's a, it's a homo sapien. It's not some other foreign entity. It's not an appendix. It's not a, a toe of the mother. It is not a body part of the mother. It is an individual human being with dignity. Who And the only thing separating an unborn child from a, an infant is time and nutrition. And so that dignity of that human person deserves to be respected and deserves to have a voice at the table. So based on that argument, even six weeks is too long. There should, there should never be an abortion, not even after one week, right? If, I if agree. it begins a fertilization. Yeah, I agree. But, yeah, I agree. But, but you know what? It's democracy. I, How do you I compromise think, then? Uh, well, it, it's, it's what the legislature passes. It's what the voters want. We're, we're seeing it. I, I personally believe that slavery is very similar. The debate over slavery is very similar to the debate of abortion that we're having. The more I've been reading and studying about the civil war and slavery, you had slave states, you had free states, you had uh, people who were equivocating. The Lincoln-Douglas debates, uh, Stephen Douglas was trying to just say, you know what, if you want slavery in your state, that's fine. If you don't want slavery in your state, that's fine too. Ultimately, Abraham Lincoln said, right makes might. Slavery is wrong. And he won at the end of the day because the moral weight of the human life deserve to be free. And that's what I feel about being pro-life. So, so I, guess, I guess the question I have for you is if you believe, which I do not believe entirely, it's, I think it's complicated, but if you believe that life starts at conception, when there's a miscarriage, is the mother a murderer? No. Is she responsible? No, that's natural. That's natural death. That has nothing to do at all. We're talking about the proactive killing of an innocent life versus a natural death. Very different, completely different. 
Okay. I just, I mean, I, I, I think, I think it's a really deep subject and, and I think we also need to consider what happens if you force a woman to have a baby and what happens to the life of that child? I mean, the life inside the womb versus the life outside of the womb, what responsibility do we have as a society to all these children who are unwanted? We have hundreds of thousands of children in this country in foster care. Why Why is every, I mean, and there are a lot of pro-life people. Why is not every single one of those adopted? I mean, I think I could find it a more reasonable approach if we didn't have so many kids that were unwanted and in group homes. I mean, I, I find that in this country, the richest country in the world, I find that morally repugnant, frankly. Yeah, no, Naomi Schiffer Rayleigh has a really great about about why the foster system is so dysfunctional. Part of it is that progressives believe that if you're a white parent, you shouldn't have a, a black baby be adopted, and they try to put uh, they try to put barriers up to you, and they try to say it's racist if you're trying to adopt a black baby and you're a white couple, and they make it they actually make it very very hard to adopt. Uh, and that's why a lot of people go abroad. So, and, and I'm sure we all know people who have adopted children from abroad in part because it is so hard and expensive and difficult that I agree, like that's an area we can all agree on, like let's reform the adoption system. And I think unfortunately to go with Masada's point, there's no shortage of, uh, there's no, I shouldn't say uh, uh, unwanted white babies. They're pretty much all adopted. It's babies of color, but unfortunately we're gonna have to leave it there as always, such a spirited debate, uh, and as always, respectful. Masada, it's been so great having you on the show, and uh, we look forward to having you back. Thank you. It's, it's been an honor to sit and chat with you guys, and and I guess the message I would leave um, for viewers is, you know what, you don't have to agree with people, but you have to be respectful, and the fact that you can have a good conversation, that's, that's a step forward for America. Here, here. So on that note, Thanks for joining us. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. We'll catch you next time.